0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We're going to talk this morning a bit more about how are we salt and light in the world? We've been working through a series of Jesus's teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew's chapter 5 through 7 and and we've focused in during this month of November on Matthew 5 verses 14, 15, 16, where he says, you are the light of the, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You don't put the light on a, under a container. You put it on a stand so everyone can see its light. And so that people will see our good deeds and glorify our father who's in heaven. As we've looked at that, we've looked for a couple weeks at Jesus's teaching. We've looked for a Sunday at Jesus's own example and this morning, we're going to look at some of the practical ways that you and I are salt and light right here where we live. Last week, we looked at some international examples. And and there's just some things that have been happening just right here in the church that are worth everyone being aware of. Um, many of you know, many of you don't know. Brad and Julie Wildman just this week uh, participated in a funeral for a young man that they had fostered and functionally adopted and have kept in relationship with for about the last 20 years. And and it's heartbreaking, his sudden death, but it's also been a really inspiring time, the funeral itself. And what Brad and Julie have lived and modeled, not just at one point in their life, but consistently through, is beautiful. And And they're not with us this morning, but through the week they've been saying thank you for all of the support and the encouragement that they received here from the church. And, and it is a fresh reminder to us that whenever we're showing the love of God to others, it's never wasted. Doesn't always turn out in the timetable or the way that we wish it would, but it's never wasted because when the fragrance of Jesus is revealed in the world, heaven comes. And it's a precious, wonderful thing. The Love Moves Us Adoption Fostering Support Group. Uh, you know, Brad and Julie were fostering before it was cool. And... And now you, you can't shake a stick in this room without bumping into somebody who is helping children who don't have families find and get to know that they're valuable and that they're loved. And so there have been two meetings so far of the Love Moves Us Fostering Adoption Support Group for families that are participating in this. And you can't get in the group. It is way overfull. There's three times as many people hoping to get to come to each meeting as they can accommodate And I want to say thanks on behalf of the leadership here for everyone who's been helping with that. Thank you for your help with the child care. We talk about being salt and light, but this is a very real and tangible way that we do that, that simply by spending an evening watching someone else's kids, we're demonstrating something about how heaven cares for people. I hope you're seeing that. And so there is a third meeting coming up. We'd love you to sign up. There's a sheet in back if you'd like to be able to help with that. Uh, we think we may also start to have some opportunities to provide food as well uh, for it. And please pray with us. We are asking the Lord to be able to open up a couple additional groups because there is such a need for this ministry here in Northwest Indiana. And so we're going to look this morning in Scripture at ways that you and I can live this out individually as well as together. And we're gonna look in Philippians chapter two. But before we do, just take a look with me here at this short video that we have to share.
1: Mr. Walcott, now Police Department. You need to see your driver's license registration, please. You can't give me a ticket for honking the horn at a green light. All right, so let me see your driver's license registration. Thank you, sir. Is all your information correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right, so I'll be right back with you. Sit tight. Please help me. You can't give me a ticket for honking the horn at a green light. Sir. She should have gone, it was Sir. green. Sir, get back in the car and calm down for a second, okay? I'm not gonna give you a ticket, but the reason I stopped you is for acting like such a fool, okay? I don't know why you're acting like that, because I saw all those stickers on the back of your car. You don't need to be acting like that. Across crossing your window. I thought. I thought maybe you stole this car. So I was just checking out your information when it's that good, and you're not getting sick at this time. But if you would, just calm down for me. God save
0: I thought maybe he stole this car. Let's have a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul's putting feet to what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5. And the Bible says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You know, shining, shining, Letting our light shine isn't actually very complicated. Uh, what the Bible says here is pretty simple. It's pretty basic. It says, don't complain. Don't complain or argue, whatever's going on. It's simple. Unfortunately, that doesn't make it easy. (laughs) There's plenty of things that are simple, not complicated, but doesn't make them easy. We need the Lord. Otherwise, We end up living life like we stole the car that we're driving around in. But I just want us to see this this morning. that when it comes to living for Jesus, it's about living like Jesus. And just not being negative is positive. Just not being negative is positive. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. If we, if we manage that, hey, there's a couple of great things that are going to happen. One of those is that we'll grow spiritually. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. It actually promotes our spiritual growth if we avoid complaining and arguing. And secondly, he says, we're going to shine. We're going to shine like a star as you shine, like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And brothers and sisters, this generation needs us to shine, not to complain. Now, when it comes to actually doing this though, my own history is not great. My, my own practice and perfection of doing this is not where I want it to be. I've got both a historical path, you know, pathway tendency and a whole bunch of ruts where historically I am a judgmental son of a gun, where um, it's so easy for me to find fault with everything, especially if I'm not getting my way, and to start blaming and complaining everyone and everything that seems to be an obstacle. And, and it took, for me, really a radical realignment of my own perspective about what's it got to mean to be a Christian? to start to address that head-on in my own life and get my focus to where the Bible puts it and where it should be. And unfortunately, it's still a rut that's easy for me to fall back into. It's like I had... I'm 50 now. It's like I had 20-some years of active practice and application and becoming a really skilled complainer. and And it's been 25 years of... Actively and deliberately fighting it, but it's sure easy to go back to what I know I can do well, which is gripe and complain and find faults and things. And, and along the way, some of the things that have been really important difference makers for me in trying to, trying to change has included actively giving thanks, simply being thankful and instead of complaining, but I have to build it as a habit. I have to build it as a consistent discipline in my life. I can't just be thankful when things are going the way I want. I've got to stay thankful and practice giving thanks in the moments where things aren't going the way I want. And um, and so it's this practice of prayer, God's grace and intentional action that's been part of my progress, such as it's been in this area. One of the things that helped me Uh, when I was in college in particular, when I was digging into this, was a discipline of journaling. There was something about slowing down and writing about what is God saying in his word? What does God want for me? What am I praying about that served as a healthy antidote and a healthy habit compared to the soundtrack of complaints that would naturally go in my head? And one of the things, next slide, that has really mattered for me is recognizing that it's not spiritual maturity to be a critic, right? That being a critic is neither prophetic nor is it Christ-like. Being a fault finder is not the way Jesus behaved with people. He could have. If anybody ever knew everything anybody and everybody was doing wrong, and could perfectly find a fault without having any flaws of his own, it's Jesus. But it's not how he behaved. It wasn't how he related to people or during his life. And I just I do want to challenge us that if you recognize in your life, like I've had to in mine, that you have a tendency to nitpick, to primarily critique instead of affirming others, and to have this kind of superior attitude that just focuses on what other people seem to be doing wrong, for if that's us. We are missing the point. That is not what the spirit of God is going around hovering about with people's lives. You know, we saw last week uh, when we were looking at Matthew that how Jesus says that the Pharisees of his time were getting it wrong. They were focusing on lots of little details and missing the bigger picture of what was really on God's heart and the way they were criticizing others. And Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, uh, it's verses three through five, that you and I, we can't just be looking at other people's faults and trying to correct them. Instead, what Jesus says is, is this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a big plank in your own eye, you hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So if we're going to be salt and light, people and children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, holding out the word of life, we've got to be holding out the word of life, not being critics to all the people around us. And my wife Karen is actually really good at this. And, and I really appreciate that she doesn't she 's not in our relationship criticizing me for being a critic uh, if that makes sense right because when i once I recognize my own shortcomings in this area i 'm vulnerable and I realize it 's easy just to come down on me for that because it 's not jesus it 's not the way jesus wants it 's not the way it ought to be and and some of karen 's keys to uh, not being a complainer, if I can put it that way. Uh, a couple of things that I've learned from her are these. One is that complaining is like eating junk food. It like tastes good at first, but then it leaves you feeling pretty sick afterwards. It doesn't actually make you feel better in the long run. Uh, there's something about the taste of complaining in our mouth that feels good and right, but it gives you a spiritual indigestion going forward. And she says, I don't want to feel like that, so I'm not going to take the short-term feel-good of complaining and end up with the long-term feel-bad of the fruit of it. Does that make sense? And, and one of the other things that she's pointed out is it matters to just not take it in when everyone around me is going that direction. And so she works in a medical office and hospital environment, and there's plenty of things when you're in a work environment that coworkers have to complain about. You can complain about management. You can complain about how the day is going. You can complain about your clients or patients. There's so many people and things to complain about. And, and Karen has chosen not to get sucked into or get involved in the complaining party, even though in our society, that's, it's like a social lubricant. Uh, complaining can be like the common ground that people use to connect with each other. And she said, no, I, I don't want to get sucked into the complaining. And there's, there's, People in times where they won't come to talk to me about it because they know I won't get involved in the complaining. But if they do need help with something, then they do come to me. And so be be cautious about getting pulled into it, especially if you're well, if you're a recovering complainer. Be careful about going to the complaint bar, okay? Um, And and in addition, just she just avoids reading on the internet stuff that is just piling on complaints and negativity. And uh, if we had a TV, she wouldn't watch it on TV either. Um, but at the office, the television is on, and it becomes a matter of selectively tuning out certain things at times. If we're going to hold out the word of life, it happens because our focus is on Jesus. And complaining stunts our spiritual growth. If you and I really want to become more and more like Jesus... We've got to say no to the attractiveness and the tendency to complain. The New International Version translates this, and it's a marginal rendering in the New American Standard Bible, uh, that you may become blameless and pure, that somehow this is part of the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, it's not the only way to translate that or read that, but when I say that complaining stunts our spiritual growth, I'm not basing it on a single word in an English translation. It's, it's an outworking of larger principles of how we actually become like Jesus. You see, complaining, it's a mild case of unbelief. It's, it's what happens when we're not believing the good news about Jesus Christ. And, and let me just talk a little bit about how believing works, okay? Because we see in the New Testament, People like Peter, people like Martha, who are friends of Jesus, can say, and you and I do the same thing. We can say, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Say, so, yes, I believe in Jesus. I know he's risen from the dead. I know he's the Lord. But just like Peter, just like Martha, just like me, may find that there's areas in our life and moments and times in our life where that faith and trust in Jesus isn't being applied and worked out in the situation that we're facing. And we react to that situation in unbelief rather than faith in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's talking about here is, sorry, let me back up. And so the work of faith, what it looks like to grow, to become more like Jesus, to live for him day by day, it involves applying our faith and trust in Jesus into every area of our life and into all the situations that come into our lives. So we work out this faith in our decisions, in our relationships, in our words, in our actions, in our desires, in our emotional responses to things that happen in every part of our lives. And so when Paul is talking here about not grumbling, not complaining, not arguing, so we can become blameless and pure children of God in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, as we hold out the words of truth, sorry, as we shine as stars in the universe as we hold out the word of truth, the way he's talking about complaining here, and therefore the way I'm using the, this discussion of complaining, it's describing an attitude of grumbling in our hearts that overflows in what we think and say about other people and situations. And neither Paul, and therefore not me either, are ruling out how you and I should be pouring our hearts out to God when we're upset, when we're frustrated, when things aren't going the way we want, when we're sad, when we're troubled. The Bible shows us, invites us to come to God and and lament, to pour our hearts out to God and to grieve before him, to, in a sense, complain to the Lord about why, God, are things not happening the way I think you've promised, the injustice I see, the sickness that I see, the way things are happening in my relationship, it's not lining up, God, with the way your word says you want things to be. When we come to God with those feelings and complaints, that's faith. But when I just complain and I boil over and I'm not coming to God in prayer, that's what Paul says we shouldn't be doing. Do you see the difference? One is an act of faith because it's bringing me to the Lord and I'm acknowledging that in all of my dislike of the way things are going and all my frustration, God, I know you're the one who's in control. God, I know you're good. And because this doesn't line up, I'm calling out to you about it. What Paul here is talking about is the complaining and arguing that just brings a like toxic waste into our own hearts and attitudes and relationships with others because we boxed God out of the equation and we can only see it being bad without him being there. Do you see that? And and so that's not how we grow in the Lord. This is how we grow in the Lord. And so this kind of complaining keeps us locked in immaturity. There's no grace in it. There's no life in it. It doesn't help us. Instead, come to the Lord with whatever troubles your heart and you'll find relief and rest and peace. Because here's what happens when we're actually believing the good news about Jesus. Here's what happens. When I'm believing the good news about Jesus Christ, I know that the greatest problem that I'm ever going to face in my life, which is my sin that separated me from God the Father, has already been dealt with through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that means that my biggest problems has been resolved by Jesus. And so whatever challenge or difficulty I'm facing today, I'm already secure eternally, no matter how the situation turns out. Do you know what happens when I'm believing the good news about Jesus Christ? When we're believing the good news about Jesus, it means I know that I am accepted and I'm loved by my heavenly father, no matter what rejection I feel like I'm facing from the people around me that I wish I was getting it from. Whatever disrespect I'm facing, I have the approval and welcome of my heavenly father because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so believing the good news about Jesus brings his life into the middle of that situation. When I'm believing the good news about Jesus Christ, I know that my joy is found in the presence and goodness of God towards me, no matter whether I'm getting to do the things that I think I want to and would enjoy doing today. When my plans are not working out the way I want them to, I need to believe the good news about Jesus Christ, that in his presence, there's joy forevermore. Does that make sense? I wish... I wish I'd done better with all of this during Thanksgiving with my family. I do. I had a great opportunity. Um, We went to my mom's in Ohio, and there's lots of ways that my mom needs help, and she's delighted to have us. I've had a wonderful family. But I find it hard to serve with a glad heart in my mom's kitchen. And it's an ironic situation because go to Argentina and I'm like, gold star, super servant, there. And, and whatever somebody would ask me to do, I'm like, count on that. Happy to do it. But when I'm getting the, the glasses out of the cabinet to fill them with water to put on the table for the meal, and my mom tells me not those glasses, they are supposed to be the other glasses, and it's the wrong butter dish, I get really upset. And, and that's not her fault. That's stuff that's going on in me. And, and I wish that I'd been actively relying on and enjoying the love of Jesus on Friday at lunchtime this week. And so I've got some experience in what do we do when we don't get it right? What do we do when instead of not grumbling and complaining, we're stomping around the kitchen, throwing ice into the sink hard because we're mad? And, you know, the, the solution when we blow it is the same thing that helps guard us going in. It's believing the good news about Jesus Christ. I'm so glad we have a wonderful Savior because when we come humbly to the cross and we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not getting this right. I can't do this without you. This isn't your light that's shining as I'm stinking up the place. We can make it right because the blood of Jesus covers our sin, purifies us, and we have the grace to be able to apologize to people that we've affected by our complaining, by our disputing, our attitudes. And somehow the light of Christ shines again. Because guys, when we don't complain and argue, we do shine. We do. When we're not being negative, it's positive. And we're able to show that the focus really is on Jesus Christ. When we're not complaining and arguing, you know what's happening? It's not that you and I each automatically have this happy personality. Karen says one of the things that helps her avoid complaining is that she's quite a pessimist. She says, I can always imagine it being worse. Uh, (laughs) but, But fundamentally, it's that we're putting our faith in Jesus Christ into practice. And that's what it's all about. Whether it's grumbling or complaining, whether it's in taking time to serve someone else, whether it's in looking for a Christmas gift that's going to be special, not because we have to check something off the list, but because we actually pray and we ask the Lord to help us find something that be meaningful for someone else. And friends, this is how we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you did not consider equality with God something to hang on to. You weren't grasping for status. You weren't crying out for respect. You weren't oversensitized to the way people said things to you. You humbled yourself and you became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And this morning, Jesus, we bow our knee and we declare that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reality of forgiveness in our own lives. Thank you for the reality of acceptance through the cross. And so, Lord, we ask that you enable us to be the people this week who are who have our eyes on you, who have our hearts at rest in you, and who are able to breathe life and blessing instead of complaining and arguing. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.